Thank you for listening to the Around the Net Post Tennis Podcast. Please tune in for new episodes every Wednesday and every Sunday. Welcome back to the Around the Net Post Tennis Podcast. This is episode two. Happy Wednesday. Hope everyone's having a great week. My name's George Buffett, and I'm here with the greatest co-host in tennis podcasting right now. That's Jacob Andrus, the stat man himself. How are you, Jacob? I'm doing great tonight, George. How are you doing? Yeah, doing well. It's uh, it's Wednesday. We've uh, we've made it through Hump Day. Only two more days, um, then we're ready for the weekend. Awesome. Yeah, let's let's get into it this week. We've got a couple things we want to touch on. I think this will be a shorter episode for us this week. Probably only around 15 to 20 minutes or so. And uh, just kind of going over the two tournaments that are in play right now, and a couple other things you want to touch on. Yeah, I guess let's uh, let's remind the uh, the listeners that um, the Wednesday episodes will be will be shortened. Um, you know, Sunday episodes will be an hour. The the Wednesday episodes will be close to the you know between fifteen and twenty five minutes. Just just going over a few you know what's going on in in the tournaments going on that week. If there's any you know breaking news in in tennis, um, but but not not the hour long episode that that we treat you to on Sundays. So this week we we got Adelaide and Auckland going on right now. Um, our predictions are going strong. It's, it looks like we're off to a good start. Uh, Draper is in the quarterfinals of Adelaide against Tommy Paul. Uh, what, what did you What did you make of uh, of Draper? It's the first time that we've we've seen him this year. I thought he looked really good so far. I mean, first round he got a good win over uh, Sebastian Bias, who was the fifth seed, and then the match yesterday was uh, was one of the better matches of the year. He won those two tiebreakers back to back and. Not sure exactly how many match points uh, Ketchmanovich may have had, but that was a big match for him to come through. I think he's going to have his work cut out, though, against Tommy Paul, who looked pretty good and is also going to be pretty fresh going into their match today. Yeah, I think he, he, uh, he I believe in my, in my guy Draper, but I think he may struggle a little bit against Tommy Paul just, just based on the, on the game style. I think Paul might be able to break him down, make a few more balls in the court. But I, I think a lot of people have said that about Draper since he's been on the tour and he's, he's proved a lot of people wrong. Um, it'll be interesting to see how his fitness holds up after a long match. Uh, I will say that because he has had some injury concerns, but mm-hmm. but we'll see. It's definitely going to be definitely gonna be a good match, and I'm sure Kekmanovic and Draper will play each other again in the future. Two young guys breaking through. Um, what did you think the forehand looked a little bit different for Draper since last year? Uh, maybe a tiny bit. It didn't seem like too much of a change, but he has had maybe four to six months at this point to really work on it, maybe make a tiny bit of an adjustment to it. So I think maybe a little bit more compact on the backswing might be the only takeaway I had from that. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, when I watch Draper and Shelton play, I think, you know, both lefties, both got big serves. What, what, what's the difference, you know, from a coaching perspective and your eyes, what, what's the difference between those two players? I would say, in my opinion, it's, been a tiny bit of luck for Shelton. Um, not just luck, though. I think he's a little more aggressive than Draper. I've, I've been able to see Draper play in person, and he hits a really big ball, big serve, big ground strokes, but he's also a little bit of a grinder to some extent. Like He makes a lot of balls and rallies, and I think that Ben Shelton is a little more trigger-happy. He's going to go for a bigger serve, go for a bigger forehand, and I think that he kind of just takes the racket out of his opponent's hand, whereas Draper is also able to do that, but he holds back a little bit more. So I think going into this year, if he's able to just kind of unleash the forehand and unleash the serve a bit more often, I think he will see the same successes that uh, Ben Shelton has had over the last year or so. Yeah, absolutely. Ben, ben Shelton, to me, typifies the the American player with the, the big serve, the big forehand, going broke, 
Mm-hmm. Um, if if, you, if those two played each other next week, who would you who would you put your money on? Um, I think that Jack Draper seems to be in pretty good form, but then again, Ben Shelton looks pretty good in his opening round match this past week over in Auckland, I think. So I would really, I would still lean towards Ben Shelton just because he's had the better experience over the, not experience, but the better results over the past year and has just been playing a bit more tennis than Jack Draper. But I think that's an easy three setter. And really, if one of them blinks a little bit in the third set, whoever takes that first break in the third is probably winning that match. Yeah, oh, great insight. Um, two, two. We thought that both both tournaments were going to be really similar. Uh, both open draws. Mm-hmm. They both kind of gone opposite ways. In Adelaide, there's been surprisingly few upsets, but we can't say the same about Auckland. There's only three seeds remaining in that draw. Um, but yeah, we'll see how that progresses and, and discuss the you know those results more in Sunday's episode. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll spare a moment for for uh, a guy you know well, uh, Oliver Crawford in the Aussie qualifiers. Uh, interesting, uh, you know, just scrolling through that draw, he was representing the the United Kingdom, not mm-hmm. the United States, which I, I thought was was a little different. I had to do a, a double take, but he has actually switched allegiance. And and you you explained to me in the week why why that is. Do you, do you want to explain that to the listeners? Yeah, yeah, I, I know Oliver back from when we played. We're from the same hometown and played a little bit together in juniors, so I I know him a bit. Um, and yeah, his his dad is actually from. England and his mom is from the United States. So he's always, always lived in the United States, um, lived in South Carolina and Florida, but he does have the, the English heritage of his dad's side. And I'm not sure if he was born in the U S maybe born in England, but I'm, I'm thinking that he maybe went with the international representation at this point in his career, since he's, uh, around 25 or so years of age, I think. So yeah, he's 24, the, 249 in the world. Okay. Yeah. He's really made some good strides in the last year. I think he broke top 100 for the first time uh, at the end of last year. So it's, his career has been progressively getting better and better. So I'll be interested to see if he can qualify and maybe make his first main draw at a, at a major here sometime. And if he can get into the top 150, it would be great to see him getting into some of these ATP 250s, 500s, and maybe qualify for 1,000 at some point. Yeah, no, interesting. Um Interesting to see guys that you know we played against when we were younger and how they progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be interesting. Do, do you know where he's based now? Because I remember um, there was a guy, Slovenian guy, Alias Bedene, who was playing at a bit a higher level. He was about 50 in the world at the time, but mm-hmm. he switched allegiance to to the United Kingdom. And there was a rule that you know you had to be based and actually like playing your tennis in the United Kingdom. So I I, I wonder where. Yeah, that I don't know. For sure, where he is based. I know he typically comes back to train in Charleston, South Carolina. I know that he's he's got some friends down there that he's known and some hitting partners that he plays with. So that's been his base, I think, in the off seasons in past years. But he may have made the move over to to the UK. So that that could be something that has happened, or maybe the rules have changed. I'm not too sure on that end. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see how he does. He's in the second round of Australian Open Quali, so two more rounds to go. And then that's a big payday win or lose in the first round there. Mm-hmm. One thing, I, I one match that, that struck out to me just in the challenger draws this uh, this week was Martin Dam against Paul Jubb. The American Dam won that 7-5 in the third, but I just had I had a lot of intrigue about that. I always like to follow Jubb's results. Um, and obviously Dam is a, uh, you know, 
former collegiate player as well, played a year at the, the Tar Heels. I'm not, not sure his history. You might know where else he played. But I heard a prediction uh, last week that a lot of people are going to see him in the top 10 Amer- ranked Americans by the end of the year, which mm-hmm. I thought was, you know, that's a bit of a jump for him. So uh, obviously he's got a lot of potential and people think he's going to be, you know, a real top-notch player. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, he's a great player. Big lefty serve, big ground strokes. I could definitely see him working his way up the rankings pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, unprofessionally, right, um, you know, talking, uh, are you on a, are you on a uh, 5-0 league uh, for the spring yet? Um, I am maybe on a team. I mean, I, there's the team that I was on last year. They uh, They wanted me to play for them again, so I said I probably can but i haven't signed up or done anything like that yeah i i am um, similar boat i was i had sort of said to a, a guy unofficially that i might be interested and then i i got asked by another team and they looked like pretty stacked roster so i uh i switched allegiances um gotcha but yeah yeah you should... as i say the team i was on last year is all mostly younger guys and there's not too many of us, so if any time one of us wants to play, we're pretty much in. And if we don't want to play, there's one or two extra guys that can kind of fill in. Yeah, I thought I think it's so interesting. Like when we were kids, like you know, when you think back to when you're you know 15, 16, most people they they're sad, you know, when they get dumped in the double spot. Mm-hmm. But now you know everyone just wants to play singles, and and now they're desperate for guys to play singles. When you yeah. you know that as soon as you graduate from college, it's like yeah, I just want to play doubles when you're a singles guy. I think that, yeah. that's an interesting how it changes so dramatically, but I don't know yeah, if you've had that experience. A little bit, yeah. I volunteered myself multiple times to be the singles guy last year, and everybody was very happy to uh, to let me have that. And uh, we had because we had younger guys, a lot of them did want to play singles at least once. But over the course of the season, they were more than happy to let me take that most of the time. No, that's funny. The uh, the team I was on last year, the um, you know when we got there. It was the first time I'd been on a, you know, a league since since college. And we get there and the guy, you know, captain stood in the middle and he's, he's like, how old are you? How old are you? Everyone gives their names. And it turns out I was the youngest. So I was automatically drafted into the uh, the single spot purely based on age. Nice. So that it's, uh, it's a little different to college, but it's good fun. Um, yep. It's uh, looking forward to it. I'm not sure when it starts, but um, it's going to be a good level. Um so, so back to the back to the tour, back to the professionals, um, not the amateurs like us. Um, I, you know, there's nine Masters events in the calendar year. Do, do you think we're going to see a new a new champion at any of those events, or is it going to be the same the same names winning those events this year? I think we'll have at least one new champion with with how Novak doesn't always play all the Masters 1000s. That always leaves the door open and I think that even though Alcaraz and Sinner have been continually getting better they're they're not unbeatable in a best of three match especially on certain surfaces they might have a little bit of a disadvantage compared to some of the other guys so I think that we will almost definitely see a new Masters 1000s winner this year yeah I think there's a there's a couple of big names here that that stand out to me who who haven't won one I'm not a huge fan of Casper Rudd from a entertainment standpoint mm-hmm. but from you know game style and i respect you know the the hustle and the grind that he has uh, he hasn't he hasn't won one yet so do you think 
you know, especially on those clay court events, you know, the the Monte Carlo, uh, Madrid and Rome. Do you think that's, you know, obviously that's where his biggest chance comes. But how do you see him shaping up for those events? Yeah, I, I think that of the guys that haven't won a Masters 1000 so far, at least in the top 10, top 15, I think he's the one that's had the most success and is the most likely to win another one. But primarily on clay i would say i think he still needs a favorable draw especially if he has to go through an alcaraz or someone like uh even someone like Zverev or holger rune he's had wins over them on clay but i think he more often than not will need a favorable draw for the guys that are above him but anytime he's got a good draw he's more than capable of making his way through the tournament like we've seen him do at the french open multiple times i think he's really done well in beating the player seated below him, but then he's not really defeated anybody that's seated higher than him. So I think he's he's primed to maybe take one of these uh, clay court events coming up in the, the spring season. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I I think in terms of what he's achieved in his career, he reminds me a little bit of, of Robin Schoedling, the, the Swedish player who famously beat Nadal at the French Open for the first time. Mm-hmm. And completely different in game style-wise, but in terms of you know, performing week in, week out, winning tournaments. He, he seems to only win minor tournaments rather than, yep. you know, I, I just, uh, those players seem alike in that sense. Yeah. To me, he's always struck me as a David Ferrer 2.0 with yeah, uh, good dictating shot. forehand and then does better on clay than he does on hard and will make his way through a lot of draws and go deep, but he never beats anybody better than him he might have a win or two over good players that are like in the top four top five but he you're never going to put your money on him to take down a, a Novak Djokovic or even an Alcaraz in a Grand Slam tournament especially if it's on a surface that doesn't suit him as well yeah I um uh, yeah David Perez a, a good analogy there um side note I would say that was the most when he won the the Paris Bercy Masters title that was the most invested I was ever in a tournament outside of a slam when he yeah. beat Yazianovich in the final, just a, I love that guy Yazianovich. What a guy! Yeah, I do too. That was that was a great tournament. <laughs> what a player! It's a great <laughs> twelve months, eighteen months of Yazianovich tennis. Yeah, he he, uh, he was actually playing some some challenges last year. He was coaching a guy. I don't remember the guy's name, but he was coaching and then I guess playing in the in the tournament as well. Hmm. Yeah, it was a. Uh, I couldn't find any highlight videos really of it, but yeah, just a. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll discuss that later in the year. Guys that had the most talent that, that never quite, you know, made it consistently. He'd be up mm-hmm. there for sure. Yeah. Um, Maybe Shelton. a young American. Yeah, I was going to think like a new American, like a Taylor Fritz, Tommy Paul, Tiafo, or Shelton. I'm not sure I'm too too optimistic for their chances of going. It's it's To me, it's just so tough to win it from those lower, like you say lower ranked, like 10 mm-hmm. through 16 spots. You just have yeah. to beat four good people. It, yeah, you can't. All it's so hard to put together. I mean, four or five. Like we saw Holger Rune do it. I guess it was almost a year and a half ago now at this point when he won the Paris indoors, but he beat five top ten players or five former top ten players in that tournament, which was a huge achievement. But I don't really see. I would love for it to happen, but I don't see someone like Tommy Paul beating Alcaraz and then beating. I don't know, like Alex Vera, and then he gets to the final, and then he beats Novak Djokovic. I, I think he has the game to be one of those players, but not the back-to-back-to-back. I mean, maybe Ben Shelton can just bomb serves and hit forehands through some of them, but to do it multiple times in a row it would be super tough. Yeah, I agree. And prediction time. 
big prediction of, of the episode. Which player wins the most ATP titles in 2024? Changing this gears is, on you. This is an interesting question because it could it could really which players decide to drop down and play some 250s. Like uh, our aforementioned player, Casper Ruud or Rublev, they've already you know started playing some of the smaller tournaments. Rublev starting off the year with the title and Casper Ruud probably eyeing up four or five 250s that is going to add to his bag. But uh I think if we just had to play it safe, I would go with I'm gonna go with Yannick Sinner. Well, he doesn't play enough tournaments, so I'm gonna go with Carlos Alcaraz. Well, sorry, you you go first, and I'll I'll follow after you because I need to think about this for a few seconds. Okay. I I I, I want to avoid going with um with Rublev and Rude. Um. Djokovic is the obvious one to me. You know what? He got seven last year. Mm-hmm. Medvedev always plays a lot, and he's consistent. He got nine finals last year. So there's four slams, nine masters. Novak, let's say, wins three slams, four masters. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Novak. I think he, I think he gets... Novak. I think he gets eight, eight tournaments. Eight tournaments. A better is it a better year than twenty twenty three? Maybe not in terms of points, but in terms of wins, yeah. Okay. I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with a dark horse pick here, and I'm going to say Alex Zverev wins the most titles of the year. I think he's he's going to be hungry. He's going to be playing good tennis and he's going to also try to build up his ranking a little bit and play a couple of smaller tournaments that he normally wouldn't yeah and i think he he pulls off maybe one or two 250s a couple 500s if he really wants to play it tough and then he he's been pretty successful at the masters 1000s especially compared to some of his peers even like andre rublev or daniel medvedev so i think he snags a couple of those and he's already at six or seven and then he's in the running if you want to count the olympics as a title or yeah absolutely, absolutely. Slam, and, and, yeah that's so. why that's why i think for djokovic too i mean he i think that you know that's another one the major title that he's going to be bidding for how many do you think Zverev's going to get i think zverev wins seven titles in the next year and i think novak wins six or seven but they're going to be much bigger than the ones zverev wins yeah no i think that's a good shout I think, and I'd be interested to see how what Novak plays, what sort of schedule he adopts, especially with the Olympics. But that wraps up our midweek episode, episode two of Around the Net Post Tennis Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. I've been George Barfoot. And I am Jacob Andros. And remember, always go around the net post. <laughs>